can't even begin to express how excited I am for this year and what the Lord is going to do. And it's not because we have grandiose plans of big vision and big strategy. Uh, it's, it's because our aim is to keep preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. No, no bells, no whistles, no gimmicks, no, no tricks. Our plan week in and week out is to continue to faithfully preach and teach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. But neither are we naive to, to think that we won't be tempted to compromise. And I'm not referring to the pressures from the outside world to have us compromise outside of the church. I'm referring to the pressures that even come from within the broader church culture to compromise on the essentials of the gospel. Which is why we're going to turn our attention to the letter of Galatians to start our, our year off. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know how we, how we do things here. We, we start with the book of Bible, Bible and we just preach our way through of the book of the Bible. Just whatever comes along, we're tackling it as it comes. And the hard stuff, the easier stuff, everything that's in there. But now you may be thinking, okay, but I don't think we finished Exodus. Like we've been in Exodus for a long time. Like this time last year, we started Exodus and we've taken a few breaks here and there. And you're like, but what about Exodus now? I don't think we've finished. And you're right, we haven't finished Exodus and we will finish Exodus. But we're coming to Galatians for an intentional and purposeful break from Exodus. Having just completed the Ten Commandments before, before Christmas, which I believe from all the conversations that I've had has, has proven to be a very fruitful series in the life of our church. But when we talk about the Ten Commandments, you're talking about the law, it can, it can leave people with a lot of natural questions. Like, like, what's the difference really between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? What's the difference in, in grace and law and all these different things? So to help us understand the, the rest of Exodus... I want us to turn our attention to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Because in Paul's letter, he sets forth a series of compare and contrast that help us to understand the difference between the old covenant, which was established under Moses, and the new covenant, which was established under Christ. Compare and contrast like faith versus works and law versus grace and liberty versus legalism, sonship versus slavery, fruit of the Spirit versus desires of the flesh, and, and ultimately the true gospel versus a false gospel, which is where we turn our attention today, starting in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now that's how you open a letter. Well, that's how you open a letter when life and death hang in the balance and you deeply care about those who you're writing to. First thing Paul does right out of the gate is he he identifies himself as the author of this letter. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now the question there is, what's an apostle? What does it mean for Paul to be an apostle? Why, why does this matter? Well, in the most basic sense, for those who are unfamiliar with apostleship, an apostle is one who is sent. A sent out one. And in that sense of being sent, all Christians are, are sent, we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. But let's be clear, not all Christians are apostles. This title of apostle is exclusive to the 12 disciples who were with Jesus from the beginning and were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Paul is also included as an apostle under the approval of the 12 apostles. But let's be clear here. This office doesn't apply to anyone today. When the last apostle died, so did the office of apostleship. But it would be through the Spirit working through these men, particularly, especially Paul, and all the letters that we see that we get the New Testament. It's also how we see the establishment of the early church. See, whenever, wherever Paul went and whenever he wrote letters like this one, he did so through the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit under the authority of God. So what's Paul doing at the start of his letter here? Why this introduction? Why is he saying not through man or of man, but from God? He's setting up an authority. He's saying this letter is literally God's word to God's people. It's not the creation of of any man. He's establishing authority. But then the question is is why? What's the purpose behind this particular letter? And to get our answer there, we need to know who Paul's writing to. Because like with any letter, you have a writer and you have a recipient. You wouldn't be writing a letter if it wasn't to someone. So who is the recipient of this letter? Well, look at the end of verse 2. It says, to the churches of Galatia. But churches, meaning there's more than one church, right? Galatia being a a region compromised of multiple cities in what is now modern-day Turkey. So multiple different cities here in modern-day Turkey. The people living in Galatia being called what? Galatians. From America, you're Americans, right? Galatians. So Paul's not writing just to one church in one city, but a region of churches throughout numerous cities. Now, most scholars believe that these were the churches that Paul, through the work of the Holy Spirit, started on his very first missionary 
journey. And if you want more on the context of that missionary journey and the start of these churches, you can jot down Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. You can go back and you can read those later. As these chapters tell us about the start of the church in Galatia and cities like Iconia and Lystra and Derbe, Cities where, that were under Roman authority. They're primarily Gentile. There, there's definitely Jewish presence. There's Jewish influence. But what there's not is the gospel. There is no gospel in these areas. The gospel has not yet made its way to Galatia at this time prior to Paul. Thus the reason for Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas being elders sent out from the church of Antioch and sent out by the church to do what? To start more churches. Going into the regions that had not had a gospel presence to preach Christ and to make disciples and to start churches. That's what healthy churches do. So when they came to Galatia, what did they do? Well, they, they preached Christ. They preach Christ crucified and resurrected. They, they see people then hear the good news and repent and believe in the gospel. They make disciples. They see small churches filled with these young believers begin to flourish. It's like, praise God, right? Praise God for what He's doing here. Absolutely. But not everyone's happy. Not everyone is happy here. In the city of Lystra, there were those who, who clearly didn't like what Paul was, was preaching. And how did they respond? They stoned him. Like they went out and, and they stoned him and left him for dead. And what, did, what does Paul do? Because he doesn't die. What does he do after being stoned and left for dead? He gets up, which can't be easy after you've been stoned, right? Like he gets up, gets up, makes his way to the next day to the city of Derby. So leaves Lystra, makes his way down the road, heads to the city of Derby. And what do you think Paul does when he gets to Derby? He preaches the gospel. He begins to preach the same message. He begins to make disciples. He sees fledgling church there of young believers begin to be established. And again, praise God. But here's what I love about Paul. In addition to everything that we have just seen, what do you think he did next? He went back to Lystra. Instead of just continuing on, he goes back to Lystra, the city where he was stoned. And what did he do? He picked up right where he left off. He just picked up preaching the gospel, making disciples, encouraging this church of young believers, which tells us what about Paul? That he's crazy? No, no that he takes his apostleship serious, that he is a man of conviction. He is, was sent out with one message, the same exact message that has so radically changed his life, the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And anybody who reads Paul and studies the life of Paul can say that man is not ashamed of the gospel. Those words are true. Which brings us to our very first question, our only question of the day. We're going to have one question and one point, okay? Question number one, what is the gospel? And if you're like, 
been in the church for a long time and you think, well, I know the answer to that question. Don't tune out. This question is not just for unbelievers. This is a question for believers. We need to ask this question. We need to reflect on these truths every single day. We need to know what is the message that would compel this man and and so many others to leave everything, to risk literally everything, including one's life, to proclaim a gospel, proclaim a message to people they've never even met. What would cause a people to do that? Both then and now, what Paul tells us ever so briefly, yet ever so clearly in verse 4. Look at me with, at verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what's the gospel? Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from sin. This is the message that Paul believed. This is the message that Paul proclaimed. And it's the message that every Christian believes and is called to proclaim. Let's break it down just a little bit further. The gospel is you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Starts off with the bad news first. We are all sinners, both by nature and by practice. So think of it this way. We are sinners who sin. It's not just that we have sinned. We are sinners as much as we are human. Okay? We are by our nature born in sin. We're lawbreakers. This is what we looked at in detail as we walked through the Ten Commandments. And because we've broken God's law, we deserve God's righteous judgment. We sit under condemnation. But what did Jesus do? Here comes the good news. Jesus gave himself for sinners. Think about that. Jesus gave himself for sinners. The word for there in the text implying substitution. Christ substituting himself for us. Stated another way, Jesus gave himself on behalf of sinners or in place of sinners. We looked at this in detail during our our Christmas series. We'd encourage you to go back and, and take a look. The life that we were supposed to live, he lived. The death that we deserve to die, he died. Why? That's the question. Like, why? Why did he do this? Was it just to give us a second chance? A new lease on life? Like, hey, I, I know you screwed up the first time, but hey, I'm going to let you have one more go at it. Just believe in me. Just believe in me and go out there and do better the next time. Is that the gospel? No. It's not the gospel, because you know what would happen if that were the case? If, if, if coming to faith in Christ were just a second chance? Hey, I'm going to give you a second chance. You know what would happen? We would fail again and again and again and again. No amount of second chances could ever or will ever make us right before God. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners. There's nothing we can do ever do to make ourselves right before God. Nothing. 
Let me define the word nothing. Nothing. There's nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves right before God. This is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel. Which is why Jesus substituted his life for ours. He took our sin and our punishment and exchanged. What do those who are saved receive? The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ, which means for everyone Christ delivers from sin, we're in that moment, this is what we looked at back around Christmas, we are positionally speaking, pure and holy before God forevermore. Doesn't matter how filthy you think you were or are, positionally, if you are in Christ, positionally speaking, you are pure and holy before God forevermore. Now, practically speaking, we all got a long way to go. Every single one of us is a very long way to go. But positionally, that is our legal standing before God. We who are in Christ are completely 100% delivered from our sin no longer under condemnation, can never be found guilty before God. Why? Because Christ stood in our place condemned. We're justified, declared right before God, have been adopted as children of God. And how do we receive such grace? How in the world do we receive such lavish grace? Well, we could ask the question this, how are we saved? Church, how are we saved? By grace, through faith, in Christ, alone. That's how we're saved. We're saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And this is the heartbeat behind Paul's letter to the Galatians, that there's absolutely nothing we do or can do to deliver ourselves from our sin. There's nothing that we can do to bring ourselves out from under the wrath that we deserve except trust. Trust completely in God's sovereign grace and put all of our faith in Christ. The only work that we bring to our salvation is the sin that condemns us. That's it. Which is why Christians, those who bear the name of Christ, are a people of faith. We are a people of faith. But what do we mean by faith? Like what do we really mean? Well, every attempt to illustrate is going to fall flat, but we're going to give it a shot. Leslie and I went to celebrate, our, we just celebrated our, our 16th anniversary on January 3rd on a 11-hour drive back from Kentucky in the pouring rain. Very romantic, right? We never got to celebrate our 15th anniversary, and so we, we went back at the end of September, 1st of October, we went on a, a cruise that we've been saving up for and waiting for for a long time down up into uh, New England and Canada and loved every minute of it. Um, our ship, though, was the largest ship that I've ever been on in, in my life. Uh, it, had, it was 20 stories high. Okay, so 20 flights of stairs, think 
Praise the Lord for elevators. And it had a ropes course on top that it actually extended out over the water. And for some crazy reason, we thought, you know, that might be fun to do. Like, we'll go up and we'll do this ropes course. Now, the first thing that they do when you come to this ropes course is they weigh you. That should have been like my first clue, right? Like, they're, they're weighing us so they can fit the proper harness. And they give me like, well, this is the largest one we've got. And I'm like, <laughs> like a little nerve starting to, to, to kick in there. And then you climb a flight of stairs where they, they clip you into this steel beam that is above you. Like they, they latch it in. It's going to be like the track that you move along through this ropes course. So practically speaking, they say that you can sit down in your harness and hang from this steel beam um, anywhere on the course, right? You're able to do that. First obstacle that we come to is a 10-foot long like, balance beam about like this wide that you got to walk across. And, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not really good at keeping my balance. I'm going to be a gentleman here. Ladies first. I let Leslie go ahead. She makes her way across the balance beam, no problem. Her, her former ballet skills all come into to play. Um, we come next to a ropes bridge that is just like swaying all over the place uh, on, on the course. And remind you, we're 20 stories above the water um, at, at this point in time. But we make it to the other side and then comes a a section that requires you to zip line to the other side. And uh, the instructions are you're going to run, you're going to jump, and you're going to fly to the other side, maybe 60, 70 feet away. Ladies first, right? Not so fast. Leslie's like emphatically, nope, I, I am not doing this has no desire whatsoever to run jump and to fly no faith in the process she's done she's taking the fastest track back down that that she can but now it's my turn and i've got all kinds of pride and motions like okay what do i do here um only way to get to the other side like we said is run jump fly i'm nervous not gonna lie why told you I'm in the, the, the heaviest belt already. I've got all kinds of questions that are going through my head, like will this harness hold me? Is it latched in correctly? All kinds of different questions. And after some deliberation, I make the decision, I'm going to do it. I, I'm just, I'm going to do it. And you know what was the deciding factor for me in making the decision to do it? I figured, you know, the cruise ship hasn't lost anybody yet. It's got to be safe enough for them to operate it or they would not allow us to do it. So I, I take all that information and I make the decision to put my faith and my life into the hands of the cruise ship and I run and I jump and I, well, you can call it flying to the other side and I flew over to the other side and I didn't die. I was like, now, later I found out there was going to be another one, just a few more like obstacle courses later. But here's the question. What did I do to deliver myself safely to the other side? <sighs> Prayed. <laughs> I did do that. I stepped out in faith. That's it. You know, my longest jump, even in my best days athletically, 
no chance. None. I can't fly. I tried that as a kid. Like, I cannot do that. Wasn't even graceful in my flight over. Like, screamed the whole way. I was fully dependent upon the harness and the beam and the track to hold and carry me over. Friends, in so many ways, it's the same as true with our salvation. Except one big, glaring difference. Without Christ, we are already dead in our sin. We are dead. Without Christ, our fate is already sealed. But when we hear the gospel, we are left with a choice. Do we step out in faith and follow Christ and live? Or do we remain in our sin and die? The scripture is clear. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And yes, you may have a ton of questions, but think about it. Think about all of it. Who is it that we're called upon to call on in faith to save us? The one who created all things and holds all things together. Think about that. You're to call upon the one who created everything through his word and who is right now holding all things together to save you. Seems like a pretty trustworthy source here. So ask yourself, do you think that he can safely deliver you from this present evil age, from this domain of darkness and transfer you to the kingdom of Christ? I'll tell you the answer, absolutely. Absolutely he can. But what's required of us? Nothing but faith. Tiny mustard seed faith. We're trusting Christ 100% to deliver us from our sin and to present us holy and blameless before God. We're not trusting 99.9%, but 100% in his finished work even to the point where we recognize that even our faith is a gift of God's sovereign grace. Think about it. Our faith isn't because we're smart. We don't choose Christ because we want it more than the next person or because we make better decisions than other people or, or because we've got all of our questions answered and then, oh, now I figured it all out. Now I'm going to come to faith. No. No, our salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Why would God do that? Like another why question. Why would he set it up this way? Verse four, last part of verse four. He says, this is the will of God, our God and Father. Meaning salva the salvation of sinners is completely the idea and work of Almighty God which results in what? Verse five, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The salvation of sinners is 100% the will and work of God for the glory of God. And that right there is what brings about the need for this letter, both for the Galatians and for us. Because as sinners, Sinners, we're people who by nature 
We want the glory for ourselves. By nature, we want the glory. Deep down in all of us, whether we'll admit it or not, we want to be our own saviors. We want to be able to point to something that we have done. Like, I was good. I, I did this. I did that. But we can't when it comes to the gospel. We have absolutely zero ability to boast in ourselves. Even on our very best day, zero ability to boast in ourselves. Let's just say that every one of us in this room, you take your very best day you've ever lived, and you live that very best day your entire life, every single day living that best day over and over and over and over again, it still would not be enough to save you. Why? Because by your very nature, you are still a sinner. We are still sinners. We are enemies of God. We are dead in our sin. There's literally nothing we can do to save ourselves. We simply call upon the name of the Lord, and He is faithful and just to save. And who gets the glory? He does. But now what's the problem with the Galatians? Well, look at verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So our only point today, there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. Paul tells us he's absolutely astonished. He's not sugarcoating this. He's not sugarcoating anything. He he can't believe they're so quick to turn from the truth and to believe the false gospel. He's like, how in the world? How could you do this? And you know what? I get it. I get this all too well. I felt the same way in so many ways. Like thinking someone's tracking. You think that they're believing and growing and then... They're deserting the gospel they once claimed to believe. It's heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching to watch somebody go down this path. So let's be clear, not just talking about when someone leaves the faith altogether. That happens and it's painful, but it proves that they were never in the faith to begin with. But at least then we know where one another stands. There's a clear denial of the faith. There's an admission of unbelief, but that's not what we have taking place with the Galatians. They're not denying the necessity of faith in Christ. They claim to be Christians, but they deserted Christ for a false gospel. And tragically, we see this all the time, whether we realize it or not. Again, it's painful. For Paul, these are literally people who he has risked his life to preach and teach the glorious truths of the gospel. And now they're turning from the gospel, the true gospel, to a false gospel. And let's not for a second think that this cannot happen to us. Chapter 2 tells us, even Barnabas, who accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey, who was a part of, of preaching the gospel and starting the churches in Galatia, even he was led astray. So let's, let us never say, oh, that can't happen to me. It might be happening right now and you're completely unaware of it. This can happen. 
See, we hear the, the word false gospel or a, a different gospel and our minds go to extreme versions of paganism or foreign religions or, or the prosperity gospel. Easy to throw darts at a straw man. It's easy to, to tack up somebody and be like, oh, I could pick on that guy and fail to realize Satan doesn't care if you go to church. Really doesn't care if you're here this morning. Cares about what you're hearing, but he doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't care if you're incredibly religious. Doesn't care if you read your Bible. Doesn't help, care if you help those in need or any number of things that we could add to the list. He doesn't even care if you believe in Jesus for your salvation. As long as it's Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus something else is always a false gospel. That's what we have taking place among the Galatians. They're not, they're not turning to atheism. They're not agnostic. They're not even turning to Molech or Baal or any of these ones. False teachers came into the church after Paul left, blending Christianity and Judaism. They're not saying it's wrong to have faith in Jesus. But in addition to faith in Jesus, they're saying that Christians have to be Jewish uh, to obey the Jewish food laws. They have to be circumcised. They have to obey the law. They're saying, okay, believe in Jesus plus these other things. And what's Paul's response? An emphatic, no, no which is the entire reason behind this letter. It's a, it's a giant cease and assist order. Like, no! And why this letter is so applicable to the church today. Whether it's legalistic churches that have their list of unbiblical do's and don'ts and can'ts and cans. Now you can't watch this movie. You can't watch that movie. You can't listen to this type of music. Oh, here's the alternative that you have to listen to instead. Oh, you got to wear this clothes. Your skirt's going to be this long. You can't wear this. You can't. We know those churches. They exist. It's Jesus plus. Or maybe it's the seeker sensitive churches. They're, they're tickling the ears of their listeners with 10 ways to a better you. Hey, you want to be a better parent? Hey, here's five steps on, on how you do that. Have nothing to do with the Bible. It's just good therapy. Engaging the culture and all kinds of various social justice issues. Some of which may not be bad at all. It may be very good, but it's Jesus plus or maybe it's the more reformed churches that become so proud of their theology and their theology becomes the plus. Oh, look, we've got it figured out. We've got the answers. We've got the truth. Oh, we've, we can talk about all these versions of doctrine and theology and the books that we read. And it's Jesus plus church sinners are saved exclusively one way. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Not by correcting our, our, our moral behavior. Not by doing good things. Not by being different than the culture. And not by knowing our Bible and having good theology. We are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And Paul says in verse 8, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then he doubles down again in verse 9. And he says, if anyone, 
is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. So a helpful mental exercise when either hearing the gospel preached or or personally sharing the gospel with someone else. Ask yourself, could the thief on the cross have heard this message and been saved? Could the thief on the cross have heard this message, this gospel, and been saved? Here's why. Because the thief on the cross couldn't do anything but what? Respond in faith. It's the only thing he could do. He he couldn't get circumcised. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't care for the poor. He couldn't go to church. The only thing he could do is belief. Church, that's the gospel. It's the gospel, the simple and wonderful and glorious gospel. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never done this, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord and been saved, I invite you to today. The only thing you have to do is believe. Believe you need to be delivered from your sins and believe that Jesus is the only one who can deliver you from your sins. If you'd like to talk about what this looks like, maybe you've got a lot of questions and you're wondering, how do I even take this first step of faith? Let's talk. There's no greater conversation that we can have to start this new year than than this one. All you have to do is have faith. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we thank you for the gospel. The true and wonderful gospel that saves sinners from our sin. We ask that you save sinners today for your glory and help those of us who are resting in Christ as our only hope in life and in death to to glory in Christ who is our Redeemer. And give us a boldness and an overwhelming desire to proclaim this glorious gospel to everyone who has ear to hear. And Lord, give them the hearts to respond. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.